Cindy enjoys feeding birds. And so out in our yard, by the, by the side of our yard, we have a number of different uh, bird feeders. Um, we have some on the pole, we have some that hang, we have some that stick to the windows. And this morning as we were getting ready, I said, honey, would you go out and get me a sunflower seed? And she looked at me like, huh? And I said, go get me a seed. She said, are you going to use your message? I said, yeah, I want to I use it in the sermon this morning. So she ran out and she got me this. Now, unless you're sitting probably in the very front row, you can barely see that. But it's a sunflower seed. And this week, as I was thinking through the message and thinking about the passage, Paul talks about a seed. Now, he doesn't talk about sunflower seeds. I don't know that they were around in the first century in, in Israel. But he talks about wheat seeds and he talks about others. But something that you aren't very well aware of is that if I plant this, actually in our yard, usually what happens is the birds and the squirrels get in the feeders, particularly the, the squirrels, and they throw the seeds all over the place out of our feeder, and it hits the ground. And when it hits the ground, gets buried under that ground, something incredible happens. This little seed grows, develops. Now, when you put it in the ground and you take that seed... What comes up out of the ground is the absolute full expression of what this seed is. When you put it in the ground, what comes up will not be a big sunflower seed. It won't be this sort of black thing just coming up out of the ground. When it is all that it is to be in its growth, it will be a fully developed sunflower. Some of it will not look like this seed. It'll have a, a stem and it'll have the leaves and it'll have that huge flower that comes out of it. But some of it will look exactly like this. And that's the seeds that are found inside of that flower that then become all over our yard again. But the whole idea, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is that when this seed is planted, when this seed goes into the ground, what comes up, what develops out of it, is the absolute, full, complete expression of what God meant this seed to be. Now, it's still the same plant. In fact, in the first century, they weren't aware of it, but we are now. We can take DNA and we can take gene studies and we can find out what seed, what plant that seed came from. Why? Because it's the same plant. But yet when it comes forth, it becomes completely, fully what God designed it to be. While it's still maintains the same characteristics. And if you looked at the seed, it would look exactly like this. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to two passages we're going to look at this morning. One of them is the passage that, that Eric read. And when you read Luke chapter 24, you read the story. You read the narrative. You read the historical events that surround the resurrection of Jesus. 
You have this wonderful account of the disciples gathered together in fear and and afraid and having all the doors locked and all the windows closed and concerned about the the Romans or the the temple guards, whoever might come and arrest them. And they're in the midst of that fear and they begin to hear the rumors that Jesus is resurrected. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there. And the account, the the narrative, the the story, the interaction is just filled with wonder and, and filled with amazement and filled with so much theology. But the fact is, within the story, it's hard to know all that God is doing. And so this morning, we're going to have another passage that we're going to move between. So keep your fingers in that Luke chapter 24 section, but also turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to kind of move back and forth between those two passages because one is the story of what happened and the other is the theology. This is what it means. This is the significance of it. This is what God is doing. This is what it means beyond the historical events into the eternal. Now, we're looking at eternity. We're looking at what God says it will be like when we move from this world and we move from this side of the veil of death to the other side. And we began this study, and last week we looked at the fact that When we talk about going to heaven now, that we need to be careful what we mean, because what the scripture says is that when we die here right now, if I close my eyes on death, I open my eyes and the very presence of God. I'm in heaven. I'm where God dwells. But that's not eternity. That's temporary. I may have a temporary body, and scripture not particularly clear, but just like us, those that are in heaven right now are waiting for the day when Jesus will return. And when he returns, then we know that those that have gone before us, they will be changed. And those of us that are still here will also be changed. And we will move not to where God is, but God's dwelling comes and dwells here The new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, all dwell together and we dwell there in an eternal body to have the eternal task that God has laid before us. It's a time of waiting. But the question becomes, what are we and what are they waiting for? What's eternity going to be like? What's it going to be like when Jesus returns and everything is remade? That's what we want to look over the next four weeks. And as we began to think about that, you'll notice I'm not using the word heaven. Heaven is kind of that that place where God dwells. But remember, God's dwelling will come here. There will be a new heaven, a new earth with a new Jerusalem right in the midst of this new creation. There will no longer be that separation. So we speak about eternity, not just heaven. 
And what is eternity? Eternity is a resurrected life in a resurrected physical body with the resurrected Christ on a recreated earth. Now, there's a number of parts to that. We talk about a resurrected life. We're going to look at that this morning. We talk about a resurrected physical body. We're going to look at that this morning. We talk about on a a recreated earth. We're going to look at that next week. We talk about being with the Lord. We're going to look at that about three weeks from now. And also the question is, what are we going to do there? Let me give you a preview of that week. It's not sitting on clouds with harps. Thank heaven. But this morning, and particularly with the idea of the right to life Sunday, sanctity of life Sunday, and and, and thinking about that, and thinking about the value of this life, and the eternality of this life, and that God says that all who are alive, all who are brought to life, that there is an eternal existence question becomes, what is that going to be like? What does it mean to be me in eternity? What we find in Scripture is very simply this. God's plan for our immortal souls is to inhabit an imperishable body. An imperishable body. That was tough to say. Forever. Forever. Beloved, there is something coming that is so wonderful, that it is so amazing, though it is so astounding, that God says it will exist forever. And not just some disembodied spirit floating in this ethereal kind of what whatever we picture. That's not biblical. That's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches in in Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2 that yes, the body was formed out of dust, but it is not yet a person. The person came about when the immaterial part of man was connected with the material part of man. And then it says, Adam became a living being. We are meant not to live as disembodied spirits floating around some ethereal, boring existence. We are made to be living beings. An eternal, immaterial part Existing forever in a recreated true body. Now, as you begin to look at it, the very first thing you begin to see is that Jesus, after his resurrection, is the model, is the first fruits of our resurrected selves. If you want to know what it's going to be like to be in eternity, if you want to know what it's going to be like to live forever, what are we going to be like? Look at Jesus after the resurrection. 
and you get a glimpse. He is the first fruits. And that's not a word that we use often. That's one of those sort of biblical words that, that we find and we, we have to kind of think through what the meaning is. But first fruits just simply means that, that first apple off the tree, that first grain of, of, of wheat that comes from the, from the stalk, that, that first sunflower seed. The idea is it's the very first that demonstrates what's about to come. It's a small part of the great harvest. And what the Jews would do, they would take that first fruit. They would take that first grain of, of, of wheat. Or they would take that, that first grape off the vine. Or they would take that first part of the harvest. And they would give it back to God saying, we know that there is more to come. And this is the demonstration. This is the assurance. This is the guarantee that that's going to happen. That's exactly what the scripture says about Jesus. You see, Paul says in that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that keep your fingers in Luke chapter 24. But here's the theology. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is stupid. I know you're not supposed to use that word, but it has its impact. It's It's worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. And then Paul goes and says, I know some say, well, you know, living a Christian life is sort of good for this life, even if the eternal doesn't exist. And that seems to have been some of the teaching in the the church at Corinth. And Paul says, no, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied. More than all men. Why? Beloved, if this life is all there is, if there is no eternity, if the message of Christ's resurrection is not true, then go out and eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow you die and that's the end. The atheist has a problem. If you were in Robin's class a few weeks ago, he talked about all systems that try to explain the world are going to fall apart. All of them have struggles. Even Christianity, though, won't fall apart, has struggles to answer some questions. Why is there evil in a world where God is sovereign? You know, some of those kinds of things. Yes, we struggle with some of those questions. But the atheist has one they cannot answer. And that is, how do you have morality if there is no God? How do you have ultimate responsibility if there is no judgment? Why do you have any moral standing if God is not true? You want the proof of that? A guy by the name of Hitler. A guy by the name of Stalin. A guy by the name of Pol Pot. Who in the name of humanity with no eternity have killed Hundreds of millions of people in the last hundred years. But that's not the reality. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits. He is the one that has come back to life. 
You understand that of all of ancient history, there is no greater attested event than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the resurrection of Jesus is the central truth of our Christian life. Beloved, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you are not a believer. Then your sins are not forgiven. Then eternity is not yours. Then Jesus was just a maniacal or crazy teacher that actually believed he was God. You see, if Jesus is not resurrected, our faith and hope are in vain. But there's that incredible word in Scripture. But. He is resurrected. He was seen by Mary and by the women and by the disciples and by James and by Paul even later after he had ascended and by 500 witnesses. And when Paul was writing it and he was writing his accounts, he said, go and talk to the eyewitnesses. They're still alive. He's come back from the dead. Jesus is risen. The resurrection of Jesus is not only the guarantee of eternity. Not only the sense of the, the, you know, the, the first payment of the reality. That is true. But he's also the pattern of what it will be like in the future. Of what it will be like in eternity. We will be like him. And you can begin from the earliest writing of Christianity all the way through. It has been the unified testimony of Christians, those who believe the message of the gospel, that Jesus is resurrected and that we're going to be like him. You can read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this morning we don't have time to to look at that particular verse, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 48 and 49, talks about the fact that we will become like that man who was resurrected. We were like that man, Adam. We will be like that man, Christ. Or 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, when it says, it does not yet appear what we will be like, but we know that when he comes, that we will be like him. And then Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says this, but our, hev- our citizenship is in heaven. It's where God dwells. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform this lowly body so that they, these lowly bodies, will be like his glorious body. You understand when Jesus was resurrected, he wasn't a phantom floating around. In fact, I love Luke chapter 24, where they said they thought he was a ghost. They thought he was a spirit just kind of floating around, and Jesus says, ah! That's not so. Here, 
touch my hands, touch my side. And we'll, we'll look at a little more. Give me a little fish to eat. Last time I checked, Casper doesn't eat. He was real. In fact, when you look at the passage, what you understand is this. Like Jesus, we're going to be the same person that we were before. There is continuity. That's the theological word. Between what I am now and what I will be in eternity, there is the seed that stays the same. It's, it's the same sunflower. It's the same kind of seed that will come out. We stay the same. And you see that in Jesus. This is my favorite part of Luke chapter 24. And while they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. He probably said, shalom. But they were startled and terrified, thinking they saw a ghost. And then he said to them, why are you frightened? And why do you doubt? Why does doubt arise in your heart? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. Actually, the proper is, it is I. But I like it's me better. Jesus said, I'm the same. I'm Jesus. Come and see. When we have that resurrected body, I can say, I'm Keith. Cindy can say, I'm Cindy. Y'all can say, I am whoever y'all is. That's proper southern grammar. And what you begin to understand is that there is continuity of the person. It's the same person. Jesus says, it is I. It's me. Jesus uses the same designation of identity as he did before the resurrection. He didn't say, oh, it's thou art. The... He doesn't do that stuff. He just says, it's me. I'm Jesus. And you see that sense of, of personhood also in the fact that Jesus has the same relationships. He has the same history. He has the same memories. He has that same interaction if you have your Bibles, turn there to Luke chapter 24. And there in Luke chapter 24, as Jesus is talking to them, he shows us that it's the same Jesus, that he remembers the relationships. He remembers what he taught. He remembers their interactions. And in Luke chapter 24, as he's, he's discussing with them and, and talking about what the resurrection means, it says there in Luke 24 and verse 44. Get the passage here. It says, while he said, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. He has those memories. He, he remembers that relationship. He remembers that interaction. Some people say, am I going to remember the people in my lives? Am I going to remember the relationships in heaven? Yes, Jesus did. We will also. I was telling Marcia that I was going to use her as an illustration 
When Jesus was resurrected, you'll remember he's interacting with Mary, and, and Mary doesn't quite know who he is. She probably, like a, like a Jewish woman at the time, had her head down in front of a, a male she didn't know and didn't really look up at Jesus, but thought maybe he was the gardener who had taken the body away, and she's troubled, and, you know, if you've taken your body, his body away, where have you put it? And what did Jesus do? He looked at her and said one word, Mary. And immediately she recognized him. I remember talking with Marsha when, when Marsha and Joe first started coming. And I would go up to Marsha every time I saw her and say, Marsha, it's Keith. Marsha, it's Keith. And finally she said to me, Keith, I know your voice. You don't have to tell me that every time. It was the same voice. It was the same inflection. It was the same way of saying it. It's the same relationship. Yesterday I was at a Pinewood Derby. Remember those? With Austin and, and Brennan was there and I couldn't get his attention. There was so much noise. And finally I just said, Bren! That's my name for Brennan. That's one of the inflections that I use. There are others. I'll leave that alone. And he immediately turned. Why? Because he knew the inflection, the relationship, the voice. You get to heaven and someone comes up to him and says, Keith, I will know them. Just like Jesus knew those whom he loved and just like those who loved him knew who he was. But not only that, but something that's also interesting is Paul uses a pronoun of identity in his description of, of what we're going to be. And we don't have time to really look at it this morning. But when you read through there, over and over again, he says that we will be resurrected. That we will do this. That we will do that. That it will be us. And it is a personal, possessive pronoun. Paul says, it is us. It be me. There is a continuity of person that moves from this side of eternity to the next. And as a result, we will be the same people. Are you adventuresome? There's a quality of that that will exist into eternity, but without sin. Are you more introverted? There's a quality of that. Are you more thoughtful or are you more active? There's a quality of that that will exist into eternity. You will be who you are, yet without sin. We will be we. But the cool thing is, without sin. It means that every desire I have is no longer stained with selfishness or self-centeredness. It means every want that I have in eternity is no longer stained with any aspects of my bent or fallenness. It means that every thought, every plan, every goal, every desire will be an expression of the person that God has allowed me to become. 
but without sin. A little bit later, we're going to see the passage where Paul says, this mortal must put on immortality, and this perishable must put on imperishable, and this earthly body must put on spiritual. The word spiritual there does not mean floating around as an ethereal spirit. It means that which is perfectly suited to live a perfect life in relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm not that now. But oh, I look forward to it. Every decision I make now, I have to ask, I wonder what my motive was. But in all of eternity, when I make decisions, they will no longer be stained. They will no longer be bent. I will be me. You will be you. My mother and father are them. My daughter is her. But without. It's one of the things that's so sad about abortion. The idea is value human life. Why? Because we understand it is an eternal life. From the moment it begins. But not only are we the same personality, we're the same physically. Somehow we look like who we are. I have no idea what my resurrected body is going to look like, though I have a feeling it'll be stealthier. (laughs) And at this point, a lot younger. You see, when I plant that seed, what comes out is the absolute full expression of all it was meant to be. Personality-wise, yes, but also physically. I have no idea what that's going to look like. But Cindy will like that look a lot better. You see, we will be recognizable to each other. Because in some way, it's the same body. In some way, that seed comes out. In some way, Jesus looked like Jesus. Moses looked like Moses. Elijah looked like Elijah. Samuel looked like Samuel. But in all of its splendor. The passage that I find so interesting with that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the NIV has a good translation, but I think there's a little better translation. It's the passage that I read whenever I do a a funeral. Excuse me. But in verse 53, Paul writes this. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortal. When the perishable has been clothed with perishable, and the mortal with immortality, then will come about the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. The problem with the NIV is they miss a pronoun that Paul puts in here in the Greek, and it's an important one. The NIV and the New American Standard catches it. And if you've memorized this verse in the old ways, it's this. When... 
this body, when this mortal puts on immortality, and this perishable, the pronoun is there. That's important because Paul says it's the same body. It's the same presence. We will recognize one another. That's often a fear that people have. Well, I know the people I loved in eternity. And the answer is yes. Because it's their it's their mortal that has become immortal. It's their perishable that has become imperishable. It's their earthly that has now become what needs to be for all of eternity. And when you read through Luke chapter 24, we don't have time to, to read through there. You get the sense that Jesus was walking. Jesus was touching. Jesus was eating. Jesus was cooking. Some of you are going, yes, you love to cook. And yes, guys, you're ready for some of you. There was fishing. How do I know that? Oh, that's easy. John chapter 21, remember the passage? After John has sort of seemed to conclude his, his, his uh, epistle, he goes on to tell us one more story because there were some problems developing in the church and, and John wanted to make sure that, that they understood that, that what they were thinking, that, that Jesus wasn't really real and that he wasn't a real body, wasn't true. And so he tells the story of how they met by the side of the lake. And you remember, they see somebody standing and they ask him, well, how's your fishing? And they, he says, not too good. And he says, then throw your nets on the right side. And I, I know as a fisherman how I'd react to that. Pfft. Who do you think you are? Then they suddenly realized it's Jesus. And notice nurse 9 and 10. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. Where did Jesus get the fish? He must have been fishing. Now he may have just said, hey fish, come here. I can handle that kind of fishing. The idea isn't, again, I don't know what fishing is going to be like in heaven. But we're people with physical bodies in a recreated earth. But here's one more thing that I find so interesting that our bodies may show the signs of spiritual victories without limitations. Jesus still had the holes in his hand and his feet and his side. I don't know, maybe those who have been beheaded for the sake of Christ will show a line across their neck, but it won't affect them, but just as a badge of honor. Maybe those who have been burned at the stake will, will show a little patch somewhere that shows what they went through. But the idea is, it is my body that God will remake. There's continuity. But there's also discontinuity. Because like Jesus, our bodies will be changed to live eternally. We read through that passage that talks about we have an earthly body that will become an eternal body. And he describes it. It's sown perishable. This body is dying. I know that. I told this sitting this morning, man, I was so stiff this morning. It's just signs that it just ain't what it used to be. But our eternal bodies, 
We'll never be sick. We'll never be painful. We'll never be diminished. We'll never be limited in any way. It's sown in dishonor. Beloved, we die. You know, the biggest declaration of the reality of sin is death. It's put in the ground because we've died. It's not what we were meant to be. It's not what the garden was supposed to be. But it's what we become. Ha ha. But we'll be raised in glory. C.S. Lewis and his message on, on the hope of glory talks about the fact that if you saw yourself in your resurrected body, you would be tempted to bow down and worship yourself. Some of us do that now anyway, but, but that there will be a glory. Same body, but glorious. Sown in weakness, but raised in power. No limitation to do anything that God calls us to be about. And then the last one. Sown natural. Sown earthly. But raised spiritual. Now the way that Paul uses that word spiritual is the same way he uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When he says, brother, I could not address you as spiritual people. But I need to address you as natural or earthly people. It's not talking about the quality of the body. It's talking about the sphere of the body. So we end with the knowledge that our bodies are remade to live in God's holy, eternal presence. Beloved, if you saw the glory of God now in this body, you would die. but we will live forever surrounded by the glory of God in a body that was made to live like that forever. And then finally, our bodies are resurrected to live eternally without weakness, decay, corruption, pain, death, sorrow, all gone. Revelation 21 says those are the old ways. But now all things have become new. There is so much hope we draw from that. Hope for our loved ones who we know now, like us, are waiting for that eternal resurrection when all will be made right. Hope with the knowledge that that the things that have damaged and hurt us and left us at loss here, and we're really going to look at this next week, are made whole and complete in eternity. The value of a human life. I I remember standing before a couple who had lost their 10-year-old child. We talked about, you know, the day is coming when all that you think you have lost, you will enjoy. And there's the knowledge that what I do here will shout in eternity. Not whisper, but shout. What a motivation.
to be about what God has called us to do and to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these passages. Thank you that Jesus came back and it was him. Thank you that we have a promise that is beyond our full comprehension. We can begin to understand it. We can begin to touch it. But we know that there is a glory and a majesty and a wonder beyond even what we can fully imagine. Father, we pray that we would be folks that live with that reality in our mind. Not that it puts us so much towards eternity, but it reminds us that eternity will invade this place. And may we live as people that understand that and seek to apply it. Father, it begins with a relationship with you through accepting your son as our savior. And as we do each Sunday morning, we invite anyone who doesn't know your son, isn't certain of that relationship, isn't certain that eternity is theirs, that they would come and speak to me or someone else about how they can put their faith in your son and know that for certainty. Father, thank you for the truth we find in your word and for the hope that it brings. And we pray it all in the name of your son. Amen.